for all of your TNA needs, head to tensandaces.com. Top of the morning, officer. Hi. Is there something I can help you with? What the hell are you driving here? We had a small fire last night, but we caught it in the nick of time. <laughs> you have any idea how fast you were going? Well, funnily enough, I was just talking to my friend about that. Our speedometer's melted, and as a result, it's very hard to say with any degree of accuracy exactly uh, how fast we were going. 78 miles an hour. 78, huh? Well, yeah, I could buy that, sure, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, you would know better than us, uh, especially since we got a melted speedometer. Do you feel this vehicle is safe for highway travel? Yes, I do. Yes, I really do. I, I, I believe that. I know it's not pretty to look at, but it'll get you where you want to go. Now, you got no outside mirror. No, we lost that. You have no functioning gauges. No, not a one. However, the radio still works. Funny as that may seem, with all this mess, that the radio is the only thing that's really working good, and it's as clear as a bell. Don't ask me how. <laughs> one of these losers in Las Vegas who keeps thinking he's going to come up with a way to win at Blackjack. Are you ready for some TNA? Welcome to TNA, the Tens and Aces podcast. A podcast with true-to-life stories and experiences from advantaged players in the game of blackjack. From pros crushing it and making a living counting cards, to newer players who are just making their way through all the ups and downs of what can be, at times, both an equally frustrating and beautiful game of AP Blackjack. Is this the kind of thing you want to hear? Well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. Here's your host, Mike AP. And welcome to the show today. As the man just said, I'm your host of this transmission of our experiment in imaginary radio that we like to call TNA, the Tens and Aces podcast. So if this is the kind of thing you want to hear, well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. And welcome to the show today, L Train. Thanks for having me. So, for people who aren't familiar with you or haven't heard you on Collins BGA podcast, you were on a few months ago with your lady as a blackjack team. Lovely pocket queen. There you go. Shout out to pocket queens. <laughs> What's up, pocket queens? Um, She's, she sends her best. Right on. How I really got started was really just hanging out with friends, um, playing a little blackjack at the casino. I had a basic strategy card, so I knew how to follow basic strategy based on the card. Um, I wasn't perfect at it by any means, and it was just started off as recreational play. As I got older, I would go to the casino a little more and just kind of really was just to release and have fun with friends. It wasn't for anything serious. I didn't care if I took 200 bucks and doubled it or if I took 200 bucks and lost it. Right. And, um, then my wife and I kind of started playing and then that turned into, you know, the story that we have today. Where we actually started was at a Christmas party. Her parents own a business and every December around Christmas time, they'd have a Christmas party. And it was typically at a casino where they had like a nice restaurant. You know, there's always a decent steakhouse. And then after that, it just kind of turned into some fun and games. So we kind of started playing blackjack together. We had some fun. We continued to, to do it on the side and started off Martin Gelling. And then that worked until it didn't. And then uh, we tried. 
about a cow out of a book called Modern Day Counting, which looking back at it is actually, you know, it's not a bad count. It's a viable count. It's not the one that I would use today. But if you really worked at it, you probably could use it and make it work. Uh, is it a good reason- stepping stone? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. Oh, no, you're fine. I don't think it wouldn't be a count. Well, it could be an easy count to start off with just because it's an unbalanced count. You don't have to worry about deck estimation at all. But it's a level two unbalanced count. So you'd have yeah. to get used to dealing with that, which is, you know, I don't think the ease of use is something that a beginner would want to start off with. I agree. Um, I think Hilo is great just because of the ease of use. You know, once you get over the fear of deck estimation, which is something you should always be working on. That's the beautiful part about it. Like you can't really perfect it. Like the word estimation is in there, so it's not going to be perfect. But you can always work on, you know, building up to uh, being as accurate as you can with decks. Um, That was one thing that was I thought was very intriguing about boot camp. (laughs) David, David Loudonoff and Stan Podolak, they were at my table at boot camp. And they kind of had this little contest going on about who could get the closest on this card. And David Loudonoff was like dead on on the cards. And Stan Podolak was off by one. And I was like, that's impressive. Yeah, it was super impressive. And I mean, that was obviously motivating, you know, to keep working on the game. Um, That's I mean, that's the thing with Hilo that always kind of keeps you keeps you going. There's always more deviations you can learn. You can always get better at deck estimation. But the overall ease of use of it is what makes it just the great count to start off with for, you know, beginner to professional. Yeah, I think I think Colin had a deck estimation video in the last month or two, maybe three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, I think he was off three, three cards, which I thought was pretty impressive, too. Very impressive. Uh, that David was right on and uh, Stan was pretty Dude. much right on. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was a fun part for, for boot camp. I guess this is like a shameless plug <laughs> for, for BJ and their boot camps of what you can see and learn there. Yeah, um, but this podcast basically became a shameless plug for BGA because pretty much what I found out, not searching out um, BGA members as guests, so to speak, but even people that I found elsewhere besides the BGA forums, it, the origins almost always have BGA involved unless they're, you know, they've been doing it 15 years or something or 20 years before, you know, BGA was around. Uh, I, th- I think that says a lot about the Blackjack Apprenticeship because all the most of the real successful pros that I run into out in the field, you know, you can spot people and you, you find a way to talk to them in a parking lot or kind of, right. you know what I mean? Bathroom, something like that. Yeah, there's almost always a BGA connection somewhere. Yeah. Which makes it real easy to find somebody. Like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. BGA name, such and such. Yeah, so. it helps out the network. Started off with, with that unbalanced count, and then uh, as a result of overbetting, you know, we, we went through some money. I, I really kind of messed up some bankrolls, and that was that was pretty demoralizing. You know, you have money, you invest into it, um, and then you lose it. You know, you kind of lose hope and everything. So, I mean, it really kind of got to my mental health. I wasn't in the best place at all. Sure. Was that just uh, variance, or was yeah. that mis- well, part- a mistake you were making? I think it was a combination of both, to be honest with you. There was definitely variance involved. Um, the other part was, you know, there were certain deviations that I, I wasn't using. And so it's hard for me to actually look at that and say, hey, this is true advantage play because it's not like I followed all the deviations and was playing a perfect game. Like my game was pretty crappy. It wasn't what we didn't do or what I didn't do was overbet when the count was not in my advantage. But I definitely did not bet properly when we did have the advantage or when I had the advantage if it was just me playing at the table. Yeah. So as a result of that, you know, you're like you're not the edge is so small that 
you got to be pretty much perfect. Like you, you, your game has to be on point. That's why getting tested out and constantly working on your game, I feel like is so important. Is oh, yeah. Because the edge is so small. Even getting retested out. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, underbedding and overbedding are both equally, as you know, uh, equally important, which you figured out. Uh, so I think a lot of people don't realize when they're first starting out that maybe because they're protecting their bankroll, that underbedding is probably worse. That sounds right. I think it's harder to overcome, you know, the variance that you have to overcome. Exactly. If you underbet. Um, I mean, there's less risk, I guess you could say involved. Like you're, I think you would be less likely to completely blow out your bankroll if you underbet. But at the same time, you know, those times where you really do have the advantage and variances in your favor, you're not really getting over that hump. So you're just constantly working up a hill versus, you know, if you overbet, then when you take that downswing, you like you're taking it full speed. Right. And you underbet, you're cutting your EV off at the knees. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know about you, but I don't like working for six, seven bucks an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the people are good. Hopefully, you, you know, your people that you're surrounded with, if you're working for six and seven bucks an hour, so hopefully you're surrounded by good people and that that makes the environment a little better. But casinos yeah. aren't always that way. I have to take a break every now and then from playing just because the atmosphere in casinos sometimes just drives me bananas. And I hear like people like screaming and cheering on, you know, because they want a hand, want a hand or on a slot machine. And it just seems really surreal if you sit there and just for me anyway, if I sit there and just listen, like just like think about all the sounds I'm hearing. You know what I'm saying? It's just kind of it can get old. And, yeah, it's sickening know. in a way. It's kind of like being I mean, if you could imagine it would be like to just be in a like a trap house or drug house where there's mm-hmm. heroin users around and you're not a heroin user. Exactly. Like like it would probably be, you know, similar. You don't want to be in that environment. Yeah. We're like undercover cops, uh, sort of. Yeah. Know, Cause they have to put in themselves in that environment to do their job. Exactly. And- uh, yeah. So anyway, I mean, we're getting on a bunch of tangents here. Uh, <laughs> You're easy to talk to. So for the benefit of people who maybe didn't hear the other podcast, have you and Pocket Queens been playing pretty much the whole time together or have there been gaps? Um, there there have been gaps. Um, so we started playing together and it had to have been like three years ago. Uh, we really started. And that's where like I have really kind of have broken down a car counting journey into like phases of like, hey, the basic strategy gambler to that's probably like phase one to car. Well, quote unquote, I'm going to steal this from Colin because this is kind of like a corn phrase from him, like car counting plus where it was, hey, you understand that, you know, you have a mathematical edge, but you're trying to do some other things on top of it to make that edge better, Mm -hmm. i.e. like overbetting and taking deviations that aren't mathematically sound. That was one part of our career. And then like the last part, which is probably the phase that we're in right now, like really taking advantage, play seriously and uh, working on our craft. That whole phase has been about three years, a little over two years. And uh, we don't always play together. Um, I probably spend, I've definitely have, when it comes down to hours, I definitely have more hours um, on the felt than, than she does. And um, it's worked out for us. You know, she, when she, when she's playing and when she's there with me, uh, she serves as a great distraction. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's a phenomenal person in the way that like her people skills and like her intuition for when things are about to go awry. Oh, I'm poor. Or, like, 
Yeah, remarkable. She has phenomenal intuition when it comes down to it. So being in a casino environment for her is great because she could people watch. You know, she can kind of tell when things seem like a threat or maybe a threat, even if they're not a threat. She's kind of like in that mode mm-hmm. and we're able to communicate with each other. Like if it weren't for the fact that, you know, we have really solid communication skills and we trust each other in that type of environment, what, what we do wouldn't work. Right. Do you find that I know with my now ex-girlfriend when I was playing and like I said, she's just a basic strategy player, but sometimes she would just be there with me and just stand next to me and she's standing and I, you know, I got an arm around her, her waist. And I, I found that that's pretty good cover because we just look like, you know, a couple hanging out, you know, on a Tuesday night or Wednesday night or something, not oh, a guy yeah. going to work. Do you find that that's beneficial yeah. for you guys also? Not Absolutely. that you're going to be at the same table but, often, probably not. Yeah, I mean, well, when we first started out, um, and I mean, I guess even so last year, last year was, was a huge year for us. We had a great year in 2020, despite COVID being the way that it was. Um, there were still those moments where, where she was there. And like, you're right, like it's, it's great cover. Um, she she knows basic strategy, Pat. Um, the counting aspect of it, like she's still working on a lot. The deck estimation is always a thing, just kind of like how we talked about it earlier. Like she's really working on deck estimation and that kind of keeps her from always being at a table on her own. Um, but it also allows us to be able to like play together if we want to. If we can play at the same table, we can do that. And what we don't have to worry about is spreading the forehands. This was kind of a topic that came up on the BJA forum recently. Someone had mentioned that they're playing with their wives and they were trying to figure out if they should actually play fours, if they should play twos. And what worked out for us is just playing two. And she would be able to recognize when um, the cow got to the point to where it was time for her to come in. And if I were to raise my bet, she would kind of raise her bets a little bit. And if there were a hand where there were a deviation, like because she understood the game, she understood the mechanics of the game. She knew to kind of slow down to try to figure mm-hmm. out, oh, hey, it's it's 12 against the two. Is it really, you know, like, is it really a true three right now? Should I, should I be hitting this or not? And like other deviations, like those were things that really helped us work. And it was great cover because most of the time we've never really had um, a moment together where we're sitting at the same table where we've had to really worry about heat. Most of the yeah. time that happens when it's either her that's attracting a certain amount of heat or it's me that's attracting a certain amount of heat. Right. There's a certain amount of covariance there, of course. Oh, yeah. uh, You know, so there's that, too. Yeah. I I mean, I guess to clarify, when I say two, I mean that I'm playing a hand and she's I'm playing one hand. She's playing one hand versus me playing two hands and her playing two hands. I I refer to that as four just because we have the same bankroll and we're investing four hands instead of two. I know uh, another couple who plays and it's like he was telling me that. Rarely do both of them lose, but rarely do both of them win. Usually it's one or the other mm-hmm. that wins, you know. Yeah. We I mean we've definitely had those nights where like we get obliterated and it's like, man, like we just got killed. Like neither one of us could do anything right. And or the the, the nights where it seems like the deviations just don't don't work out. Um, for whatever reason. Like I mean the count costs for me not hitting fifteen against a ten and then she's got eight against a face card and it's I'm deviating by not actually hitting my 15 against the 10 and she's right, deviating right. now because she's yeah. now, now she's doubling it doubling, and she pulls yeah. a five or she pulls a six and then we lose, you know, like those, those nights happen and that's just how it is. You know, yeah. uh, the good thing about having a partner that understands the mechanics of the game and really gets the fact that, you know, there's, there's going to be swings is that, you know, you can, you can win together and you can lose together and yeah, you have each other in the process. Yeah. 
So we're going to take a quick break right now. Here's a few messages from our sponsors. Hey guys, this is Colin from blackjackapprenticeship.com and if you're serious about card counting, I'd encourage you to check out the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. It has the training tools you'll need to beat the game like our comprehensive video course and our training suite so you can learn each skill and virtually test yourself before ever stepping foot in a casino. It also includes the tools you'll need to succeed like our pro betting software, casino database, results tracking software, and access to a community of like-minded advantage players to network with in our members forum and chat room software. You can find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. Okay. Okay. Cuthbert Tweezel works hard and long at his job. Okay. As a duck call tester. Okay. Yes, for hours on end. Duck call after duck call undergoes Cuthbert's careful scrutiny. Okay. Being a duck call tester is occasionally interesting. Oh, defective. But most of the time, it's as pathetically dull as it sounds. Okay. So one day this week, in a rare display of spontaneity, Cuthbert Tweezel escaped. Las Vegas! Las Vegas! You can be there tomorrow! There are flights every nanosecond practically! Las Vegas! It's amazing, it's exciting, it's glamorous as heck, and way more fun than working! Hey, why not? Call your travel agent and get your... To Las Vegas. Okay. A mental health tip from the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. And now we're back with L-Train. If you could tell your younger AP self something that you know now that you wish that you had somebody had told you then, what would it be? That's a great question. Uh, I think you asked Nichols the same question in his interview. Uh, you know, and our answer is kind of a lie. Um, be patient. I would tell my younger self, be patient. Uh, slow down. Take the time to learn everything. Really go through basic strategy and learn that like it's you could do it in your sleep where you don't even have to think about what you're doing if you have nines against the eight versus nines against the nine are you staying or are you splitting um have everything down cold and then move on to the other thing and then work hard at that and not be so anxious to get out on the table uh, i would definitely tell my younger self that the other thing i would tell myself is to 100 percent invest in software that looks at the math behind the game and slow down mm-hmm. and really play and understand the math behind the game and then af- after that then decide to actually take you to the table because then that makes things a little easier to deal with when you have to deal with a variance early on i didn't have that at all and i put myself through a lot of mental anguish just because it was the math working itself out variance was doing what it was supposed to do and i wasn't ready to to handle that emotionally so if i could go back and talk to my younger self that's definitely what i would tell myself just be patient work hard at it don't rush it uh you know Doctors don't just study for a year and then go out and start doing their thing. And with any other profession that requires a lengthy amount of time of education, you know, you, you got to put in the time and work first. And I guess if we were to relate it to the medical profession, like they call it practice and they call it practice for a That's reason. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. You really yep. got to practice at it. You know, and same even still. With, yeah. Oh, same thing ahead. with us. No. You, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Like, same thing with us. Like we're we're always practicing, like still to this day, like if I take a few days off, I've I've got an app that I use that I really like to um, work on just to make sure that I'm up to date on all my basic strategy and even on accounting. It's, it's outside of the BJA app um, that I use. And I, I use that every at least if I go over three or four days without playing, 
chances are I'm on that app for at least a hundred hands just to make sure that I'm staying on top of it. Absolutely. I think that's important to do. Mike Trout still takes batting practice, right? Oh yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson still practices throwing to the receivers. Receivers yeah. still practice their routes. You know, you could, we could do a hundred examples here. Uh, mm-hmm. Something you said there that uh, I think is key is the idea of the software. When, Cause when you use the software for people who maybe are newer to this that don't know, I'm sure you know this, but for the benefit of those listeners, it's amazing when you play around with it for a little bit and you see just how much something like penetration or rounds per hour makes the difference in your EV. It Absolutely. is very, very eye-opening. And if you don't have the software to do that, you're going to cut yourself way short of several opportunities. Are you going to play games that maybe you shouldn't be playing or spend too many hours on games you should be playing or not enough hours on games you should be you should be spending more time on. Uh, I think that's very, 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 very important. And it's not that expensive to buy CVCX or if you join uh, Blackjack Apprenticeship, the pro betting software is pretty decent too. Not quite up to CVCX, in my opinion. Sorry, yeah. Colin. But, yeah, you know, but it's, it's still pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It, it definitely gives you the opportunity to kind of see into the future a little bit and really just have an understanding of, okay, I have this much money. This is where my risk could be. And go from there. I th- you know, and that kind of brings you back. That brings me back. Excuse me to the question that you just asked. That would be the other thing that I would look at. I would, I would actually keep my risk lower um, in the beginning. That was one thing that I had no real true idea of because I hadn't really invested in software. Was how high my risk of ruin was. Right. And it's, it's easy to think. I think that. I mean, part of this is conditioning. You know, like if you get a 90% on a test, you think that that's a good score. If you get a 95% on a test, you may think that that's a good score. Like if you win 95% of the time you may think that that's a good score but when it comes down to risk with blackjack that's just that's too much five percent risk unless you can easily replenish that bankroll five percent is pretty high so, you know if you think about certain disease states that are even even out there you can, like five percent happens way more than what what you would think that was something that i think uh joe 748 had mentioned on it was either a bja podcast or or gambling with an edge podcast. One of the two. You say, you know, like you'd be surprised how much 10% happens. And this was after I had bought software. And I was like, you know, like, man, like if I, I wish I had listened to this earlier, if I could talk to my younger self, I would go back and say, hey, you know, keep that risk. You don't don't even think about going over 2%. And that's when 2% for me is like, hey, I, I started off with a certain baker and I took a downswing. And I'm, I know I don't want to adjust my, my betting spread too much right now because... I know that I can easily climb out of this just because of variance. You know, I, I get into that 5% range and my nerves are just like way too high. And that's even on a trip bankroll. Right. I like to keep it as stress-free as possible and just go in and know it It makes the work easier. You're not stressing out. You're not fretting the money. You're just there to do your job, um, not be robotic about it. You still have to, you know, put on the act where you can have a personality with the dealers, interact people still look like you're there to have fun you know, make it seem like you're a gambler as much as possible but still be making money at the same time and if you're fretting the money things become a little harder in my opinion that's that's for me other people may be able to do it personally for me i just can't yeah you're absolutely right quick little story i was playing <laughs> so i made a i made a mistake i should have stayed on my 16 because uh, i just screwed up and the deviation i forget what the count was but it was definitely where i should have stayed on my 16 and then i i, I took a hit i got a five so 
dealer pulled 20 and I won the hand and I'm like, fuck, shit, fuck. I'm like upset. And the guy next to me is like, you just won $200. Why are you, <laughs> why are you mad? I was, I was like, because I made the wrong play. He goes, no, you didn't. And I was like, and I had to catch myself from, I had to look, start to look like a gambler. Like you're mm-hmm. saying, I should have been high-fiving the guy, not like, because I was mad. That bothered me for like a week or two. Yeah. Even though I won the hand, it wasn't about the result of the hand. It was about, I can't believe I you missed knew, that. You knew simple. you were playing perfect. Yes. Yeah. And it was something very simple, like 16. And it was obvious that I should have stayed, especially with my my bet. It was, you know, you didn't have to even think about it at that point. If I'm, if I'm betting that much, uh, if I'm that far up my ramp, it's pretty obvious that I'm staying on my 16. Mm-hmm. And I just took a five. I just, my brain went to basic strategy. I don't know what I was doing. Maybe a pretty cocktail waitress walked by or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, that just triggered that thought when you were talking about blending in with uh, the gamblers. That's actually kind of a funny story. That's definitely a, like a side me and pocket queen story. We've oh, had yeah. nights where, yeah, I've, it's been the same thing. Like, I'll come home, like, man, like, we really had, we had a positive AV night and everything's cool. And she's like, you okay? I'm like, man, the, like, this hand just really bugged me. I screwed it up, I, yeah. you know? And she's like, but, you know, we had a good night. I'm like, I know, but <laughs> I, I messed up. And that's, I guess, it goes kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. That's what it pays off to have a partner that gets the game because she can just kind of look at it. She's like, you know, it's okay. She's like, we still got that EV though. And I'm like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little issue with having brain fog sometimes because I have uh, diabetic blood sugar issues. Okay. And sometimes I should just, I learned after that actually that I should just not play if I don't feel perfect. That's another thing for the listeners is if it's okay to have a night where you just decide, you know, I'm, I'm just not, not feeling on, it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not feeling it. You should only play in, in my opinion when you're in your optimal state. Because if you're you're not in your optimal state, you're gonna make you know, at least a couple mistakes an hour, and then you're losing your edge. So if yeah, you got to be humble enough to know when to know that you're you need to sit on the bench that the bench that day, and maybe you know go see a show or something. And then if you're on a trip, go see a show, go do something else. And then the next day, you know, hit it hard, maybe play uh, longer hours that day or something like that. I don't know. That's just what I do. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. Hats off to you for for the realization. That I mean, I, I think that's another thing that's learning. You know, realizing, hey, like I'm, I'm not in my best right now. C- kind of figuring out, checking your ego a little bit, saying, hey, like I'm, I'm, I'm not at my best right now. Or you've got a lot of stress going on at that point in time, or physically you're not feeling right. Being able to kind of stop yourself and saying, hey, I'm not going to do this today. Like those are, in my opinion, those are positive moments just because you're not putting yeah. yourself at risk. Even something as simple as maybe you're having a, maybe you're everything's fine, but maybe you just been playing for 16 hours, and maybe you want to play more because you're getting no heat it's a good ev game everything's great it's a great game you're only in town for x number of days whatever so you're just trying to hammer it but there's a point when there's diminishing returns Mm -hmm. Uh, and then not only is it going to affect that day it's going to affect the next day i'm kind of hard-headed i learned the hard way that's one thing i would tell my younger self for sure good advice so what's the like craziest blackjack moment you've ever had you know like i think there's one right now that's a that's a big standout to me just because of everything that happened as an end result and at first I was kind of leery about talking about this but I think I'm okay at the point of actually being able to talk about it right now hopefully I'm not doing any damage to myself uh, by sharing the story but it's actually it's a good story from a blackjack perspective but it's a bad story from like a comp perspective my wife and I we kind of had this quote-unquote honeypot we get backed off from the honeypot after months of play I had decided 
we were still receiving comps from this casino. All the only thing we had to do was just go in there and make our pickup. And it was enough for us to where between us both combined, two hundred bucks a week. We were able to use it for food, we were able to use it for whatever. So right. we were going to get our pickups and they actually kinda like changed the comps to where there had to be some slot play in order to utilize the comps. And I was like, okay, like I'm not going to do this because the math on it is exactly favorable. And I don't really, at that point, uh, I was telling myself, I was like, I don't have the time. And so I looked over at the blackjack pit, which I was like, oh man, my old stomping grounds are like open. And, and I, I knew the pit boss that was there. But the last time I had actually saw him, he personally didn't recognize me. He was the pit boss and he couldn't remember my name. Like at the honeypot, we had gone there so much to where I didn't have to pull out a player's card. The pit bosses could just put us, they, they would just put us in and they knew our names. This guy, he, he had some issues with his memory and he couldn't quite remember exactly who I was. So I saw that he was there and he was kind of scaring around. You could tell that they were in the midst of, like swapping out cards and doing shift change he's just moving back and forth in the pit meanwhile this table has got this juicy game is wide open i was like you know what i can't get my comps it's been a few months since i've been backed off i'm gonna see what i can get away with right so i go to the table i buy in and it's just me and the dealer we're playing head to head we get about a deck in count starts to go up someone else comes to the table he sits down and i did want to like make a scene and ask him to sit out so he's in there he's playing i'm spreading about one to twenty so pretty decent spread oh. I pro- looking back at it in hindsight I'm, I'm actually mad at myself for not spreading harder because i could have spread harder and it's not like i'm going to continue to play there anymore so there's no need for me to optimize this place yeah you might you might as well hit him as hard as you can for as long as you can exactly but point. i did i didn't mm-hmm. so i spread we have we have a a great shoe great shoe crush it for that whole shoe and i'm like okay i'm done i'm gonna get out of here so i start to color up the dealer she's played with me and my wife so so much and like she'd even commented within the play she's like i haven't seen you guys in a while which is kind of crazy to me like you would think that the casino and the pit bosses will let all the dealers know hey these people have been backed off like if you see them let us know but that obviously wasn't the case because she was full on like in conversation mode she wanted to catch up and see how things were going so we finished the shoe i've won you know four figures i'm ready to go i think everything's gonna be okay and she goes hey tell pocket queens i said hey and i'm walking away from the table and and i hear the pit boss go wait who was that and i'm like oh Oh, no and he he like immediately walks towards the phone he gets on the phone and as i'm walking back i look back at him he's still looking at me and i'm like oh man like this isn't good a week later i get a letter in the mail and it's pretty much a trespass letter and i'm like oh okay well that's Thanks. And uh, like I didn't cash out. So I've got mid four figures and chips. I can't go in to cash these things in because I have to worry about the trespass. I have to figure out a different way to actually cash these guys in. And so I'm like, okay, well, now I can't is take pocket queens trespassed also. Pocket queens is a trespass, but it would be extremely risky for pocket queens to go in and try to cash in the chips. It's a, it's a tribal casino. So mm-hmm. they can do, you know, whatever they want. Um, So yeah. I get the trespass letter and i'm like okay trespass but i still have you know my status with comps so three months later i find out that all my comps are gone and i'm like oh man like that's that's absolutely horrible and like the comps within you know this chain of casino are pretty decent it's it's nice to have all the comps that come along with it and right. they just got stripped away so I man, that was one of those situations where i guess like ego got, got the best of me I don't, I don't know. Like looking back at it in hindsight, I, I definitely wouldn't do it again. 
like yeah it was nice to go in and, and get it get in the ev and av that i got in but losing all those comps is kind of crushing did the wife lose the comps too no she's she's still good but she hadn't gotten to the status that i had gotten to i guess mm-hmm. you know and that was one thing that kind of left out of the story with the blackjack apprenticeship podcast when we talked about the quote-unquote quote-unquote hunting pot was like the level of comps that we had like one thing that we did a pretty decent job of with this place was making sure that they were rating our bets and the pit bosses were like they were so cool about making sure that our average bet was at a point to where we would get to status and that just worked out that was one of those things where being likable really kind of helped us out we were able to talk to them i was able to talk to them and say hey you know like what do you got me rated at like i'm trying to get to this status like can you make sure that my my plays up there there were a few in particular that they just flat out didn't care they're like yeah i got you like i'll rate you at two by 200 two by 300 and it was perfect because it was it would be like that for two or three hours so two or three hours at two by 200 two by 300 they get your average bet up there it adds Mm -hmm. up when they start give out bonuses and everything else on certain days like you can really take advantage of the comp system if if you know what the comp system is worth i don't really play rated too many places these days for you know a lot of obvious reasons but i remember that there are places where i was like you know two by 200 or whatever like that rated at that the next time i went in there the maybe it's a lazy floor they would just put whatever my previous <laughs> previous rating was it seemed like to me but then you know i checked my points and it's pretty obvious doing the math that they had me rated at two by 200 or something like that and it's because i'm just assuming that it's probably because they just were lazy mm-hmm. and they put the you know okay this guy usually bets this he must you know whatever i think that that's a consideration too and also another thing with comps that i want to put out there for the listeners is especially during this covid time limited spots and everything is if you have to get up sometime and then walk away like there's this one casino that they make you grab your chips every time you go or color up and leave and then they save the spot for you. Make sure you're not left on pause because <laughs> that'll totally destroy because, you you know, say you get up and go to the bathroom and they leave you on pause if you're being raided. And then the shift changes and they don't know what yeah. went on. Now and you're not being raided at all. Now you lost four hours of whatever or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you're using that casino as a comp hustle, that's a huge part of your, your calculation of, you know, making it worth your time to play there. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, I think that's I think that's good advice. Uh, I, I think if you can if you understand like that the relationship that you have with the pit bosses, then that helps. You know, like obviously if you think that someone's sweating you and and you are playing comp, the last thing you want to do is say, hey, hey, what's what's my play? Are you rating my play? Are you rating my play? Then it seems like you're kind of fishing for something. But like you said, if they're lazy and they're clueless, those are kind of goal lines. You can really capitalize on those. Yeah, like the whole, you know, maybe, you know, do a white rabbit thing where you're starting at the beginning of the shoe, you know, at, at a higher bet. With the, you know, they take your card and they, a lot of times, a lot of the lazy floors are maybe not even necessarily lazy, just a busy night or something. They'll just leave you in whatever they, <laughs> for hours. Yeah. They don't want to yeah. spend their time sitting at the, you know, computer watching your play the whole time. They got other stuff. Yeah, for sure. But uh, and I think Nichols touched on this episode he was on that sometimes if you you're asking about your your rating, you look more like a gambler and you're kind of annoying. So maybe they'll just leave you alone. That's true. A, a lot of ga- like just, you know general gamblers they really care about their comps and their points and all that stuff and a lot of ap's don't even play rated so they obviously don't care about the comp yeah yeah that's that's a good point yeah i think that um you're right he did touch on that kind of contrasts what i said about asking about it all the time but i think that you know in our world there's not really a lot that 
is absent. I think some people ask questions on certain things, and I, and I, I did the same thing, and sometimes I, I still kind of do the same thing. Like, you ask questions about certain things, especially earlier on, and you want a black and white answer. And in the advantage player world, there's just not really a lot of things that are black and white. Like, a lot of things are situational. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the point that you just touched on is kind of one of those things. Like, sometimes it, it may be worth it for you to ask, hey, how's my, how's my play being rated? And other times it may be a dead giveaway that you're just trying to take advantage of the system. You know, I think that's, you kind of have to trust yourself in those moments and kind of fill things out and see what the, uh, see what the water temperature feels like. I agree completely. You definitely got to, that's where your, your, your ladies, uh, you said she has great. Uh, very, yeah. Like that's great. And people who have those kind of skills and you can read the room, so to speak. And you know, some, cause everybody's, there's no, it's not black and white. It, they're, Everybody's a human being, you know, behind mm-hmm. you know, on our side and their side. And I like, again, to bring up Nichols, I like his idea of, hey, you know, on this fight or this game, you got money on the game. And then, you know, then the guy has 50 bucks. You find out the guy has 50 bucks on the Giants game or something. And then you talk about that. And at that point, the guy doesn't care about your play because he's more concerned about his $50 that he has, you know, <laughs> actually yeah. he has at the game going on. And then, you know, you're you're talking to this guy and you guys are buddies mm-hmm. and you're just doing your thing and you're talking to him and he's talking about this bet he made or whatever. You know, that kind of thing is very, very beneficial, you know. I agree. I agree. And of course, you just great. Yeah, he those I got many emails saying that he should be like, I think maybe even said that. I did. The, yeah, he should be. <laughs> you may want to consider having him as like a permanent co-host because, hey, I mean, he's eloquent. He's well, he's well spoken. Yeah, um, he's got that. He's got that background in like sociology and psychology. Cause so so he understands people. And yeah. um, in my opinion, you know, he understands the game. He was someone else that I met at boot camp that had an impact on me. Right on. I'm sure he'll be happy to hear that. So anyway, enough of the Nichols love fest here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no offense, bro. We got to move on, Nichols. <laughs> um, I guess she said other stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lo- losing the losing the comps. That kind of sucked. That really stands out. I'll probably always remember that because my, my wife, Pocket Queens, and I kind of like had things planned out. We knew we were like, oh, yeah, we'll do this, we'll do that. And then we lost it all. We're like, oh, (laughs) kind of crushed our dreams a little bit. The other thing has just been meeting other APs at at the table. There's been been some funny stories on how certain interactions have happened. Like there's the one story that, yeah, kind of talked about on the Blackjack Apprenticeship podcast, but other ones have been probably one of the funniest ones. I'm not going to name names because I, I haven't really, like, talked to this person about disclosing the story. But I was playing it a table and i was playing head to head the count started to go up a little bit and then this particular ap comes in and he gets in and the count continues to go up the count continues to go up he's spreading i'm spreading and then before you know it like we're both max spreading and it came to a hand where ace was up and we both end up buying insurance and i'm like i hope you have it and he just kind of looked at me a certain way and he knew and <laughs> and i knew and then after, yeah. like, as soon as the count had actually dropped, um, he got out, which was, like, very respectful. And that was something, I guess, kind of going back to, like, the question that you had asked about what I would do if early on. It would be to, you know, ask more questions about table etiquette and how to approach certain things. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, he was nice enough to have etiquette and, and leave the table. And the funny part about it is um, the night went on. I think I'd gotten in like maybe two or three hours that night. As he's leaving, he walks back by the table. And the table had like a couple other people there and the dealers there. And he kind of walks by and he drops his BJA handle as he's like kind of speed walking by. He goes, BJA, and then says his handle. And he said it He said it loud enough to where only I could hear it. Right. And I have been paying attention to this person on the forum. So I immediately recognized who it was. And it just made me laugh. That's great. That's awesome. And then after, after that, we continue to talk. He's someone that I value and respect now. I reach out to him often and just kind of check up on him, see how he's doing, and he'll do the same with me. And those are those are good opportunities. Like I, I love meeting other APs and have it flourish into like a, a networking opportunity or just someone that's a friend that you can vent to at any point in time. That's true because a lot of your real life friends, non-AP friends, they just they can't they don't understand that you can't really can't really talk you can't really vent to because they don't get it. Like okay, yeah. I feel so bad. You you won twelve thousand dollars or a night, but you lost six thousand the next day. Uh, I feel so bad for you. It's like, oh, you don't understand. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That was probably one of the things that Pac and Queens and I wish that we had talked about more on the Blackjack Apprenticeship Podcast. If we had more time, we probably would have gotten to it. It's just, you know, how do you interact with friends? How do you interact with family? Like when people know what, what you do, because our family has, like they've kind of seen us go through the downswing of things. So there's mm-hmm. sort of a negative connotation that's associated with it. And they don't really get how the game works per se. Right. And so that make, that makes it tough. Like it's, it's a part of our life that aren't really that open about with family and friends because we know that, you know, a lot of people don't get it. People just think that you're a gambler. They don't they don't really understand that, you know, this is an investment opportunity and that, you know, it's a viable job. It's a viable business that, you know, you can grow and really turn into something amazing if you put in the time and effort for it. Yeah, it's really tough when you want to be an authentic person to, you know, close friends and family. Then you have to compartmentalize because you can't because the way I look at the way other people look at. Um, advantage play they don't understand it to put it back in blackjack terms it's kind of like a hard 12 like basically people who, when you see a hard 12 it seems like you bust way more often than you than 30 percent of the time that you should mm-hmm. get a 10 card uh, and that's the way the brain remembers it so when people who don't know the ap world they they it's like a hard 12 to them it just seems like they we lose more and the they've noticed the losses more than the the wins even though we're winning more than we're losing kind of like with a hard 12 you're going to not bust on the first card way more often than you're going to bust, but the brain just wants to remember that, yeah, it's like, I always get a 10. No, no, you don't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Does that make true. sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's really tough, and uh, you're lucky. You you guys are, both you and Pocket Beans are fortunate that you have each other, and you guys really, because you both do it, you understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard for me to find somebody that gets it. <laughs> yeah, so. that's, you know, and that's that's tough. Like, the, the life itself is different. If you could relate it to the stock market, maybe some people would understand it, you know, cryptocurrency is booming right now and it's a pretty volatile market and maybe if there was if if you found someone that understood that maybe you could but it really is like it's tough like people just it it has it's such a social it's a social deviant versus a social norm so it's it's hard for people to really relate to it and find someone that actually understands and gets it and you're right I'm extremely fortunate and that's I don't know there's no way I'd be able to you know 
attack this life the way that we've attacked it if Pocky Queens wasn't on board and right. she didn't understand how it goes. So because for, think about it. Think, think about it. You got you have to go out at night a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Trust. Trust is huge, yeah. man. You have to go in a place where people are drinking, people are in party mode. You maybe you go on a trip to Vegas. People who aren't APs, they think of that's like, you know, you're out there partying, you're leaving me at home, and it's really tough finding that balance. <laughs> In some way, I felt a little guilty about, you know, what we do and that casinos exist and these people are the unfortunate uh, collateral damage that allows us to be have money to win and right. games to play that are beatable because it's because people like that lose a lot of money. Yep. But then again, on the other hand, that's their choice. So, right. I mean, it's like if you worked in a brewery or something and then you had a moral dilemma about, you know, alcoholics or something, mm-hmm. it's, it's their choice. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's tough to see like that's probably man. It's so hard sometimes sitting at the table and seeing what the casinos will allow people to do at the tables while they're intoxicated. Just throw so much money yes. away. There was one time, like, I saw this guy. He went through, like, $16,000, and he was wasted, like, to the point to where he could barely keep his pants up. And wow. Pocket Queens was with me that night, and she's like, I don't She's like, this, like, drives me nuts that they're just letting him do this. But, I mean, it's just sad to see, like, they have no problems seeing people throw away their money while they're intoxicated and taking advantage of them. But, like, the second you get a little bit of advantage over them, you're out the door and it becomes confrontational for them. That part's frustrating. That's a hard part of the job. It is frustrating because if you think about it, we have the same business model that they do. They mm-hmm. have an edge. We have an edge. Exploit the we edge. Just, yeah. We just flip the, yeah, you know, they, their best customers, they send them, you know, here's a hundred dollar free play or here's a free room. Here's a free steak dinner. You can tell that they can't afford to lose the money that they're losing. And because one, they get really mad about it. And two, some of them will flat out say, oh, that's my rent money. I got to keep playing until I win it back. Their hands get shaky. Man, that is hard to sit there and witness. It sucks. Like, it, I mean, it absolutely sucks to see, you know, those types of things take place. And I don't know, I've talked to Sassy Red about it a few times. And, you know, she's awesome just because of her background mm-hmm. with, with psychology. And, like, she's had those moments, too. And, like, they're, it's nice to when you can talk to someone else and they kind of get it just like how you, you and I are doing right now. Mm-hmm. But seeing that happen to people in society, it absolutely sucks. It's like literally you're just watching an accident happen right in front of your face. And you want to do something about it. You want to get involved. But at the same time, you know, you're like, man, I can't. Right. The people that are here have to be here in order for me to be able to do the work that I'm doing. Right. Exactly. Otherwise, the game wouldn't exist at all or the rules would be terrible. Yeah. 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 It's kind of speak going back to what you were saying about the somebody's completely drunk and barely keep his pants up. I've seen many people get cut off from alcohol, but very few people get cut off from gambling. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sad, right? There was one casino I was pretty impressed with. There was this guy, total ploppy. He was betting like two times five, anywhere from two times 150 to two times 500 plus another 100 on each side bet. And a bunch of security comes over, the casino manager come over and say, we, sir, we're going to have to ask you to stop playing blackjack for tonight because we feel like we're stealing money from you if we allow you to keep playing. Wow. I mean, he couldn't even stack his chips. Like he'd get paid, he'd knock them over and they would, he was completely out of it and yeah they, they cut him off totally from gambling they offered to put him up in a hotel room and i thought that was great and this yeah. is a 
Also, you know, they didn't steal the chips. Yeah, well, well, I don't think that. But uh, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe they're <laughs> assholes. <laughs> no, I mean it's for for casinos to do it. I mean, if that is a thing, I think that's great. But unfortunately, I should say you don't normally see that or hear about it. That's Extremely a good story. Rare. And he was slowing the game down because I mean he couldn't grab the chips and he was annoying other players. But he was losing a lot of money, thousands and thousands of dollars. And usually, I, that's another thing that bugs me is when some guys jerk to the dealer especially if it's a female dealer i don't know why that should matter that's just the way it's raised and if some guy's being belligerent and calling the dealer a bitch or saying this and that and the other thing about them or i've, I've heard a calling the dealer fat and stuff like that and saying personal things but the person's losing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars so they tolerate it that really gets under my skin yeah that poor dealer even a guy has to stand there and deal with that they're just doing their job you yep, know yep. that's yeah i agree with you that's that's another area where having pocket queens with me is uh, huge. Because you're you talk right. Me like, off the ledge. She doesn't necessarily talk me off the ledge, to be honest with you. Like it's it's an opportunity for her to get involved, and it's not just like a guy having to get involved. Like it's a it's a female standing mm-hmm. up for another female. She has no tolerance for that type of BS, bro. There's like no tolerance for, it, and I love that about her. And she there's did. been there's been a few times where. You know, we've sat down at a table and there's just a guy that's with his girlfriend or a guy that's with his wife or whatever and just completely treating her like crap. And she'll get involved and um, end up having something to say about it. And it's the right thing to do in those moments. And there's times where it's like vice versa and it's the same thing. I end up saying something and get involved. That's kind of how like the whole situation went down with the share, with the story that I shared on the Blackjack Apprenticeship podcast about, you know, having a conversation with another AP at the table. Like you see something crazy that happens. You don't want to see people just get treated like crap for no reason. I think what you're talking about is like, yeah, it's not a, you don't want to say that women are treated differently with men, but you don't want to see anyone get disrespected. Well, I was just saying that women women can take care of the handle themselves. They don't need me to be the knight in shining armor and True. rescue them. But True, I was just but raised. Yeah. You gotta stand up. Have you had enough tea and egg? Well, unfortunately, that's going to be the end of part one of this interview with L-Train. In the coming weeks, we should have part two of the interview with L-Train. In the meantime, if you need more TNA, you can check out our website at tensandaces.com. And speaking of the website, we just started a blog, and the first article was just published earlier today by a listener. I think he has a very interesting perspective, and I would encourage you all to go check it out. I also want to give a big thank you to the generous folks who donated on the website to the Tens and Aces podcast to help cover the cost of making this little shindig. It is greatly appreciated, and again, thanks a lot, guys and ladies. So, as always, if you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at tensandaces, the number 21 at gmail.com. That's tensandaces, the number 21 at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on our voicemail and text line at area code 518-289-0478. That's area code 518-289-0478. We're also looking for articles and blog posts and if there's anybody out there who would like to contribute anything like that to the TNA website, you can go to www.tensinasis.com and there's a link on the blog where listeners can submit items for the show. And yeah, I know you don't need the www, but you know what? It's my podcast and if I want to say that, I'm going to say that because I like saying that. So there it is. (laughs) But anyway, that's about all we have for today and we will see you down the felt. 
Maybe I'll go down to the track, put it all on a horse. Why don't you put it in the bank? The bank? This is found money. I want to parlay it. I want to make a big score. Oh, you mean you want to lose it? <laughs>